Are you struggling in your faith? Are you pretending you're happy but stuck in a spiritual rut? Are you tired of listening to famous pastors and preachers who make it sound so easy? Welcome to Broken Catholic, the number one Protestant and Catholic voice in America. I talk about the important things that nobody else is talking about, like how to align with God's plan for your life, because I believe this is where 90% of Christians get stuck. And I tackle the negative self-talk that we all secretly struggle with, but won't admit. My guests are brave Protestants and Catholics who share their struggles, their fears, and their daily holy habits that help them win in their spiritual lives. I'm your host, your coach, your friend, Joseph Warren. I'm also a broken Catholic and former atheist and a spiritual coach to Christian business owners and CEOs who are married with children. This show was created for you, the broken Catholic, who's pushing to get your spouse, your kids, and yourself to heaven. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you're just one surrender prayer away. Today, my featured guest is Paul Coughlin. You can find him at theprotectors.org, theprotectors.org. And Paul hosts a radio talk show in Southern Oregon, and he is the author of No More Christian Nice Guy. What a cool name. No More Christian Nice Guy. And I'm the Broken Catholic. You put us together, we're going to have a great conversation. Paul has been interviewed by C-SPAN, the New York Times, and numerous radio and television stations across the country. His articles have appeared in many publications, including New Man, FaithWorks, and Ministries Today. He has also been editor of a weekly uh, newspaper and a radio station program director, a former Christian nice guy himself. Paul is a happily married father. The Coughlin family lives in Medford, Oregon, and let's go in back. We're going to go back into his childhood a little bit. As a target of bullying while in elementary school, Paul knows just how damaging such a campaign of cruelty can be to a person's emotional and psychological well-being, damage that can harm a person well into adulthood. Some never recover. We're going to speak a little bit about that. We're going to speak about men and men's ministry and really just what is Paul up to in the world? What has God got him doing? But first, we're going to get into his story, his spiritual journey. You can find him again at theprotectors.org. Paul, welcome to Broken Catholic. Go ahead and fill in some of the gaps in that intro, would you? Oh, uh, how can I? And it was perfect. I think I think uh, I should have you introduce me to everything I do, including the students across the world. That was fantastic. No, great. Appreciate it. it I think there has been a resurgence in the interest of No More Christian Nice Guy. It came out about 15 years ago, as you know, and then a revised version came out a few years ago. And, you know, as a conference speaker, your star rises and it falls, and that's just how it works. And what's interesting is I have seen a real resurgence in No More Christian Nice Guy. It makes me wonder what's happening right now. Um, I do think that for many uh, Christian, non-Christian men, Protestant, Catholic, uh, atheist, uh, whatever you are, that um, I think there's certain uh, deficiencies that we have at different times uh, in, in human history. I think one of the deficiencies we may be dealing with now is the lack of spiritual courage. And uh, in looking back at the bulk of my writing, about eight books, um, every author is onto a theme, and uh, and I didn't know it, 
But I, looking back on, if there was a theme that goes throughout my books, it's what happens when there's a lack of courage in a person's life? How does that affect them, their, their heart, soul, and their, their spirit? And I think that's really what might be happening right now is putting some more courage back in the men and in doing so back in the families, uh, marriages and children and society, I hope. I really like that. And here's what I just connected when you said that, you know, men are lacking spiritual courage that is trickling down to their home that trickles out into the community, right? Et cetera. Yeah. But, but, you know, I think we're, why is it resurging? No more Christian nice guy. I think because as Christians, we're tired of being spiritually bullied around. There right. Is and, and I want to tie some bullying into that because that happens in the Christian space or in the faith space, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's open season, really, <laughs> on people you disagree with, especially if they come maybe from the more conservative side of things. Um, we've been labeled as what's wrong with the world. And it's okay to just be as, as um, uh, derogatory as uh, to try to humiliate, isolate. Uh, these are all building blocks of bullying. Uh, a bully's not looking for a fight. A bully wants to overwhelm. So a bully wants to stop you from fighting before the fight even begins. And what better way than to call you some of the worst names in the world in order to take you out of the public square. We need to learn how to stand against that without becoming bullies ourselves. Uh, we can defend ourselves without getting into uh, revenge, uh, so to speak. It takes, it takes practice. Um, there's a number of people of faith who uh, are doing that on the national scale. And I would argue that uh, more tend to be Catholic. <laughs> Many of those thinkers, they really are. I mean, there, there's something within that spiritual tradition that really has trained people how to stand up better than what was my experience in growing up uh, a Protestant. Got it. So you mentioned earlier that you were baptized, confirmed, you grew up in the, the Catholic space, right? Now you're Protestant, etc. So that's really cool that you're able to recognize the good in both, right? And, oh my goodness, yes. Yeah, and, and like you're, you're saying, hey, I think there's something built into the Catholic tradition that makes men stand up and fight. What Without you, a doubt. I mean, when why you think do you think about, that is? What is it? Uh, you, uh, the, the Catholic experience, I believe, honors philosophy more. And when you honor philosophy more, you honor better thinking. This is going to get me in trouble. I know, but whatever, I'm just going to say it. And like, for example, if you look at the uh, political commentators, Listen, Francis Chan went first, so don't be scared. <laughs> See what I did there? Oh, man. Uh, so you, you look at the commentators. When you think about um, per capita, right, you think in terms of per capita. Catholicism is small, much smaller than Protestantism in America. Yet many of our better thinkers on the political scale, particularly maybe on the more conservative, moderate side, uh, the number, the, the Catholics in that, group are so much greater per capita, you have to ask why. And I think that there's this tradition um, that is honored that isn't as prevalent in uh, Protestant circles. You just, you can't come to, I don't think you can come to any other conclusion on that 
um, you're taught how to think better in many cases. Mm. So how do you think we can sprinkle that into the other traditions more? Because we are one body of Christ, right? regardless of all the labels and denominations. So how do we get men in all the Protestant denominations to rise up, to fight, to protect when there's clear attacks or clear spiritual bullying going on? I think that we have to get spiritual courage back on our, on our radar. Um, it's hardly even on our radar. Courage and strength um, are almost synonymous in scripture. Uh, the word courage appears about 30 times. Um, interesting, about 30 acts of cowardice appear about 30 times as well. I don't want to make too much of numbers. I grew up in that tradition, right? Uh, so-called end times prophecy stuff. Uh, you know, but- and so does uh, 30 pieces of silver. Oh my goodness, this is getting better. And uh, so um, we just don't have spiritual courage on our radar as it ought to be. Uh, I I think what happens, particularly with the Protestant side of things, um, is an emphasis on, and and Catholics emphasize it as well, uh, would be on the gifts of the Spirit. And so these gifts are uh, tend to fall on the more gentle side, uh, gentleness, kindness. And mm-hmm. we need more gentleness, kindness, and patience in this world as fruits of the Spirit. But we are forgetting that that's not an exhaustive list. Um, what about what do we call the, the vegetables of the Spirit, right? Uh, and I would argue the vegetables of the Spirit um, involve the stuff that is tougher, but we need it, like fiber, uh, uh, like protein. And I would argue that with the greatest vegetable of the spirit is courage. And it is just, again, it's not being emphasized as it ought to be. And I think Catholicism emphasizes it more. And this is where I want to tie back into philosophy a bit more. I just read recently that Liberty University is getting rid of its philosophy department. <laughs> I don't know how. I don't understand it. I mean, you, you, you jettison that. That's a major engine on your airplane, and it's not going to, you might maintain altitude. You've got to have philosophy at a Christian university. Anyway, um, without courage, we can't be virtuous consistently. Uh, The great Maya Angelou argued uh, persuasively, uh, without courage, we can't be kind consistently. And Mm. you see this in our life, right? So without the vegetable of the spirit, courage. We don't reach the fruit of the spirit, kindness. Courage is the uh, cardinal virtue upon which all of the virtues depend. And I would argue uh, that Catholicism is much better at pointing that out. What I just said probably has never been mentioned in most Protestant circles right there, just that right there. And um, I just think there's a greater honor, uh, an honoring of the philosophical spirit. Uh, and then I would, I would add to um, an honoring of wonder. Uh, wonder is, is mm. at the root of, of philosophical uh, exploration. And I think Catholicism has done a better job of honoring that too. I really like what you're saying. I think when we pursue beauty and truth, we land on God every single time. And, and we've lost that hunger. We've lost that desire for that awe and wonder of God and, and the beautiful creation around us. And we look at our churches today, right? What You look at the difference of the old churches handmade. You walk in, you look up, and you're just like, wow. 
right? Now they're tourist trap. Why? Because it's one of the few things left on planet Earth that inspires that awe and wonder in the, the human person. Yeah. And then you walk into our new modern churches and they look like warehouses with stages and movie theaters. It's like, where's the awe and wonder there? One is completely man-made. The other, you could tell, was inspired by God. Someone spent 20 years of their life building that wall That's right. by hand. That's right. Like, like that's the difference, right? So I really like what you're saying. Men are lacking spiritual courage. Uh, how do we get it back? Like what, I'm going to ask you this. What are your top three tips, spiritual strategies for mm. me as a man right now in my, my pandemic home sitting here? What do I do? Okay. You just called me out. You just said, hey, man, Christian man, stop being a nice guy. If you're going to be a nice guy, be a nice guy with a sword and shield in his hand, right? And know when to swing it and when not. And it takes courage to do both, right? So what are the three steps I can do practically, tactically as a Christian man to really grow in that courage, that discipline of courage, fortitude, those manly Christian qualities? What do I do, Paul? Well, boy, okay, man, how much time do we have, right? Um, you know, the word masculinity doesn't appear in the Bible. It's only about 125 years old, the word itself. Uh, masculinity has always been a social construct. Uh, and traditionally, it has been the construct of two th uh, three things. What society wants from a man, what the military wants from a man, and then what, what does religion want from a man? So, and a lot of this comes from the great work of David Gilmore, not the guitarist for uh, Pink Floyd, I think. It's uh, the, other, the other David Gilmore. And um, in the 60s and 70s, uh, the, uh, the ideal man gets really kind of blown up in the sense where we extracted what religion wanted from a man and we extracted what uh, the military wanted from a man. We're only left to what society wants from a man. And what we had was the sensitive man. And... Um, that was probably a good evolution, uh, an incomplete evolution, unfortunately, because we were left traditionally just with one third of what, uh, what a man is. And I think that we've gotten some of that back now. I think um, we've been inserting what religion wants from a man as well as uh, the military and religion and the military traditionally has wanted more of that noble warrior. Um, Martin Luther King said that no one is good unless they bear within their character antithesis strongly marked. And that's an egghead way of saying that no one is good unless they possess a spectrum of virtue, a spectrum of behavior. So uh, the great Irish proverb, uh, do not trust a warrior who cannot cry. Uh, if, if, if you're just a warrior and you can't cry, you're pretty, gonna be a pretty dangerous man. Um, and if you're just someone who knows how to cry, but you don't know how to fight, you're a dangerous man too. Uh, you're also a castrated man. You're, you are. And then unfortunately in the church, we call that sanctification. It's horrible. It's really, really bad. It happened to me. And by the way, I'm not throwing, my story is a very similar story to others. The number one group of men attracted to my writing, sons of pastors. They have been emasculated um, because uh, for a number of reasons, and it's very sad uh, that it goes to the heart of, of ministry uh, in that respect. So what I'm really talking about here is being whole, uh, having integrity, 
Um, and a person who has integrity is just not someone who avoids sin. It's someone who is a whole person. So we both know as, as parents, for example, that there are times that if you don't respond with gentleness, uh, you're really screwing up as a parent. And you're also screwing up if you don't respond with some degree of toughness. So a really good parent is tender and tough. And that's really what we're talking about here, uh, the courage and the wisdom to, to know the difference, uh, to act. I would say that first, uh, in regard to your question, uh, I just want people to know there are no stones in my hands. Uh, I am a recovering coward, like pretty much everyone else. Um, cowardice is a sin, Revelation 21.8. Uh, read that section and see uh, how cowardice is compared to other behaviors. Um, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, if courage is the virtue that underpins all of the virtues, Joseph, I think we need to ask a fundamental question. Um, is cowardice the uh, sin that underpins almost all other sins. There's a logic to it. And I think that's something that all of us should explore. So that'd be one of the questions that I would uh, ask for people to think about. The reason I'm not doing the right thing, um, is it the sins of omission? Is it because I'm not doing things that I should be doing? Uh, and I will go back to Catholicism. Catholicism has done, I believe, a much better job of emphasizing the sins of omission. You hardly ever hear about it in a Protestant message. It's almost this, uh, as if only sins exist in the things that I commit, but there are sins in the things that we, th we didn't do. I mean, Voltaire, I think, is the one who said, someday we'll be held accountable for the good we didn't do. I hope it's not true. <laughs> That's a long line of things that uh, people are gonna be in line for. They'll be in the queue forever, but, um, so I think we need to realize that we are sinning uh, due to a lack of, uh, of courage. I would argue, too, that um, start small. Uh, I think C.S. Lewis said, if you had a hard time with forgiveness, don't start with the Nazis, right? I mean, you've, you've got to start small. <laughs> so in acts of courage, you know, uh, taking on the big stuff at first, probably not a great idea. Start small, stick to your guns. Um, Joseph in No More Christian Nice Guy caught a lot of grief. Um, it's hard to explain to people how, how disliked that book was when it first came out. I was told by a publisher, by an agent, he said, not only is this book not publishable, it should never be published. <laughs> and now it's in like eight, you know, I forget how many languages it's in, but um, there is something about it, I would say to young men, Christian men, uh, while they're dating. Part of my advice was, if you have a problem with being a nice guy, um, disagree with your date and don't, don't ease up. Now, don't go after the shape of her nose or something like that, but have an opinion and stick to having an opinion because men who don't have a visible sign of strength or a defined personality are very unattractive to women. And these young men have been given a message that the way to a woman's heart is just be the nicest person they will ever meet. Be agreeable. And be agreeable all the time. That's right. And it's just not attractive. Uh, and I think it, it shouldn't be attractive. If you're always agreeable all the time, you're probably not going to provide for your family very well. And I also, if I look at someone who's agreeable all the time, I can't trust them because I have no idea who they are. 
What do they stand for? What will they not stand for? That's how you define a person, is it not? Uh, yes, and I used to be that guy. And one of the reasons why I wouldn't, uh, I had plenty of ideas. I was an idea factory, uh, but I wasn't willing to express them because I thought that conflict was like one of the worst things that you could have. And that was one of the most uh, unchristian things that you can have. And the real thing is that's unchristian is doing conflict in an awful way. There's going to be conflict. The question is, how are we going to do it? Uh, and we can look at conflict one of uh, three ways, I believe. And this came from the original. I think you're a lot younger than me. You definitely have more hair, my friend. But you might remember uh, the original American Idol do you, with the three original, okay, the three original uh, 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 judges. Okay, so you had Simon Cowell, who was aggressive. Simon Cowell spoke the truth. So aggressive people uh, often can speak the truth, but they're not gracious. So Simon Cowell, I think, put half of America into counseling uh, when American Idol came on. And so speaking the truth without love is like performing surgery with anesthesia, without anesthesia. It gets the job done, but it causes unnecessary suffering. So uh, that's not a good thing. We don't really see that in Jesus, uh, in, in his behavior. I mean, he, he could be aggressive, but it was a, it was a, a noble righteousness, uh, an indignation, which means much to grieve, that came out of him. And it almost always went toward people who were hard-hearted toward God um, or who were hurting other people. And so Jesus, uh, I called it, he opened a can of Jesus. I mean, he, he let it go on those people. But if people were willing to play ball with him, he could be incredibly tender uh, and, and open-hearted and, and um, you know, go the extra mile with such a person. Okay, so and then the second judge uh, will be Paula Abdul. Now, Paula Abdul was gracious, but she wasn't truthful, which goes back to what you said about being trustworthy. Extremely gracious people without being truthful are untrustworthy. Um, uh, they're trying to avoid conflict at every turn. I was that way at one time as well. Uh, and then we have the third judge, uh, Randy Jackson. And uh, he's the assertive personality. So Simon's aggressive, Paul is passive, and uh, Randy is assertive. Assertive people speak the truth and love. And so if you notice, uh, Simon got booed all the time. Paula hardly ever. And, but Randy also got booed because he would be truthful with what he said, but he would put a little bit of sugar in it as, as well. So what we're really talking about here is getting to the more assertive personality type. And, and that is the goal. Do small steps at first, and then you'll find that with some victories under your belt, that you're more likely to take on the larger um, problems because what will happen with the Christian nice guy, and by the way, when I be, what I mean by niceness, we often think it's synonymous with kindness. It's not. Kindness is an active uh, behavior. It's, it, it's not necessarily reactive. It's, it's proactive. You choose to be kind. Niceness is almost always a knee-jerk reaction to people-pleasing. Uh, which makes that person, a, a, they're a boat without a rudder. They're just, they're going to be blown whatever direction other people want them to be blown. And I'll tell you from experience, Joseph, they're great targets of a serial bully because a bully is, um, they're not looking for a fight. They want to overwhelm. And nice people are very easily overwhelmed. They live by what I call the nice guy doctrine. And that is that if I'm nice to you, 
um, you're required to be nice to me. And, and it, it's a social handshake, right? And of course, there's truth to that. It's a social lubricant being nice to one another. But that falls apart when you come to malevolent individuals. Uh, malevolent people, they make up roughly 15% of the U.S. population. Great book, Almost a Psychopath, if uh, anyone's interested in reading that book. About 15% of the people we come in contact with are pretty nasty, malevolent people on purpose. They chew through nice people. They chew through the nice Christian who believes, for example, that they need to turn the other cheek when it comes to um, abusive people. Uh, when Jesus mentioned uh, that phrase, uh, it's in Matthew 5, I believe, it has nothing to do with accepting abuse from other people. It has to do with having a generous spirit. Well, anyway, in this really false teaching that has harmed millions of, of uh, kids and adults, um, malevolent people just take advantage of those people. And what has happened, what has happened in, 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 in church for us? We've been told we just need to be even nicer to these people. Uh, no, we need to be stronger. We need to have spiritual courage. So you're on doing a lot of myths out there, like kill them with kindness. <clears throat> well, there is a place for that. Um, right. But there's also a personality for that, what I'm hearing. And it doesn't work on a certain percentage of the population because they see that as weakness. And a bully really is looking for someone to submit so that they can have power over them. Is this not the case? Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So weakness invites aggression among the malevolent. And I'll just say from experience, my niceness didn't come from a place of virtue. It came from a place of weakness in me. So other people smelled it. And now they don't come across and they don't tattoo it on their forehead, but they do with their behavior and how they treat such people, even in the church. And I was given the myth too, that if a person went to church, that they just would not have that kind of behavior. And if they did, you just love them more. And I worked that's, for- That's like saying, you know, if you go to a hospital, you won't find any sick people there. <laughs> that's that's, hey, that's what the hospital is right. for. That's what the church is for. It's the spiritual hospital for all the broken people in the world. That's the way it should be. And there'll be people who will go by the script and say all the right things and smile for two hours and be greeted by, you know, really weak coffee afterward. And the fact is just because they go, just because they're going doesn't mean they're listening. I think some of the best ways to hide from God is in the front row. It's from appearances and, um, and these people don't change. They, they, they have no interest in changing. And I'll say that our niceness, I, I joke jokingly, Joseph. I say what I want to, and I'm joking. Please, uh, please. Uh, I hope the listeners don't take me out of context. Oh, somebody will. Don't worry about it. They will, don't they? Oh my goodness. So I jokingly say sometimes I want to start what I call the punch in the face foundation, and <laughs> this because pal, the sooner a bully got direct feedback for their behavior the better this world would be there. They would more like the number one thing we learn at the protectors uh, that changes a bully is when they get bullied. Uh, it's not peace, love and understanding that changes them. It's, uh, it, it, it's getting a little bit of their own medicine. The target would be better off psychologically as well. And that kid who bullies trying out that behavior would probably be better off as well uh, to say, wow, this behavior doesn't work. I'm not getting what I thought I was going to get from pushing other people, you know, around. Unfortunately, it's that nice Christian kid who is often 
the one who gets pushed around. Um, it's sad and psychologically, it's very, very damaging. It really brings them to the broken state that you are uh, working very hard uh, to help uh, heal. So Paul, I could go on a lot about this, this conversation. We're running out of time already, right? But I think we went where we needed to go. And BC Nation, we are speaking with Paul Coughlin. You can find him at theprotectors.org, theprotectors.org. And what Paul's up to in the world right now, we're speaking a lot about, you know, No More Christian Nice Guy, which was his foundational book that's just been blown up all over the world, right, and distributed. And now what he's into, what God has him doing is he goes into schools, and he can break it down a little further, but he goes into schools with our young people, our youth, and he teaches them how to, I'm guessing here, but how to forgive uh, each other. And, and he creates and facilitates the conversation between the bully and the target. And there's healing there. And I believe it's Jesus healing them. And I see in your videos, you have over 7,000, I'm going to call it reconciliations, 7,000 uh, of these bully and target relationships that have been healed and kids are walking over to each other in tears, forgiving each other and, and accepting and receiving forgiveness. And bro, I got to tell you, man, I'm watching the videos on your website and I'm just moved. I'm inspired. I'm like, man, I have no interest in working in the schools, but darn it. I kind of want to go and just help with that because it's so pure. It's so the way it should be to see God Shalom. healing. Shalom. The way it Shalom. ought to be. The yes. way it ought to be. So let's, we have a few minutes here, not much, but go there. Yeah. You have over 7,000 of these relationships that Christ has healed. When, when I would uh, speak for Promise Keepers, Iron Sharpens Iron, uh, whenever I talk about justice, I would notice men would just rise up like a primal sap would go through them. Yes. And so uh, after a lot of prayer and seeking wisdom higher than my own, I thought, well, where is justice missing? Long story short, adolescent bullying. So about 15 years ago, started an organization. We work in public, private schools, mostly North America, throughout the world. And we harden the target. We teach targets how to advocate better for themselves. We encourage bystanders to become protectors. Very important that kids get help. Um, many kids are never escaping the theater of bullying on their own. They need someone to help them. And we train kids on how to do that. But yeah, you, the, the apologies. It was a youth pastor out of uh, Kansas who challenged me to have the kids apologize during the presentation. We used to have them do it afterward. And I thought, okay, well, let's do that. And I would just throw it out there and it, it's, it's awesome. Uh, usually the first one takes the longest. Courage is almost as contagious as fear. And so usually the first one goes, it's almost always a sibling, by the way. Uh, they apologize to their brother or sister. They will, you saw it, they will walk across an auditorium and they'll hold the hand of the, of the target and, and on, on, not necessarily beg for forgiveness, but darn close. And it is a beautiful act of reconciliation. And I, I think more adults need to see that. I think we look down on youth culture. Uh, we kind of think they're lost. I've heard that you know, for how many years they're all lost, right? I don't think they're um, lost. I think they're not taught well. Uh, well, I, and I agree, particularly with parenting being t hit, taken in the shorts in the last uh, 30, 40 years uh, specifically. So they'll do it. Um, but you can't lecture them. Uh, I don't lecture. 
There are no stones in my hands. I've been a bully, my friend. Uh, I have bullied. I have been the target and I've been a bystander. I've been all three and I've been a protector. So I've been all four and they'll do it. And, and uh, it'll fundamentally change uh, that, that school and that school's culture. We've headed off a number of suicides, uh, walk into a school For and, sure. And these kids just come up to me afterwards and say, I was going to take my life. I've already written the note uh, to my parents. And so wonderful acts of reconciliation. Uh, and my hope is more people will join us. So how does, how does that conversation actually go, right? You're there in the auditorium. You got 500 kids, 2,000 kids, right? They're middle school, junior, right? They're, they're all yeah. these young, I got sh- to look my best and not look bad, right? And they're around all their peers, all that peer pressure. How do you, without lecturing, because that's key, and now I'm so curious, like, how do you teach them to get up and be the first to go over and apologize in front of everyone? What does that look like? Well, um, you know, it's interesting. I was in a public school recently, and afterward, when I, there must have been at least 75 kids uh, apologize to one another, and the uh, this young Hispanic girl came up to me and said, she said, are you a priest? <laughs> and I said, well, I, I am a I priest, can't... a prophet, and a king. That's right. That's right. I think they have to like you. And the problem is um, I only have 45 minutes to affect change. And if the person in front of me talks forever, oh, then I have 35 minutes to affect change. So... Uh, you, you just lay it out there for them. You know, I think Jesus, you know, Jesus would say things like, uh, you know, for those who have ears to hear, hear, um, you give them the best information you can, you get rid of the myths. You know, many of the kids thinking that the, I'm just joking around, I'm just playing around. And, and, and that's their truth. But once they realize when I point out things like, hey, have you noticed the person you're picking on, they never really say anything back. Have you noticed there's four or five people picking on one person and that poor kid doesn't really hasn't done anything to deserve that treatment? You might think you're joking around, but you're not joking around. It's on purpose. So anyway, I talk about you help them see through the, the mist, so to speak. And then, Joseph, one of the things I'll do is I put up an image, very famous image of the Little Rock Nine, where if you remember um, nine African-American kids, brilliant kids put into a white school, forced integration and all that. And um, Elizabeth Eckhart is a very important picture of her. She's being bullied by a white lady. And what I do is I do a silhouette of Elizabeth Eckhart. And then I say, you know, that's racism. It still happens. It's wrong, but you can't get away with it the way you used to get away with it. But you know, we're doing something very similar. What about that kid with a speech impediment? I had a speech impediment as a kid. I still have, uh, I still have one. And I was in the gifted program at the same time. So I was put into that silhouette for being different. And then what I do, Joseph, is I have students close their eyes and uh, say the name of the kid that they put in that silhouette who deserved to be bullied. I have them say their name. This is very important because um, bullying takes away the name of a person. Genocide, sexual harassment, bigotry, racism, bullying, links in an evil chain, because in order to get to those behaviors, you turn the other person into a less than. So we strip them of their God-given and imbued dignity, value, and worth. And it's on purpose. We have to do that before we attack them. Uh, And so I have them say their name. And then if I'm in a Christian school, a Catholic school, Protestant school, I'll say, pray for that person. You don't have to, but if you want to pray for that person, 
pray blessings, which means to will the good for that other person. So now we're going to the soul. Now we get into the heart of that person. And then toward the end, you know, I, early on, I say, hey, man, I just came back from a school just like yours. We had over 70 kids publicly apologize. It's a beautiful thing. Maybe some of you will do that. I call those little truth bombs at the beginning. You lay it out there. It has to percolate in their soul. It needs to be their truth. And I guess this is a long answer to a very short question, my friend, but I get, that's kind of how we approach it. And, and uh, I want to go up to the teachers who've been around for a while. Uh, you can tell they're the ones that don't smile. Um, they go, so I want to go to those teachers and I want to tap them on the shoulder and I want to say, hey, you haven't seen it yet. They don't think they will ever see a kid apologize to another kid in front of other kids. We will have kids apologize to teachers. We will have kids write notes to other kids. They'll write a note to the principal and say, I'm sorry, I've been saying bad things about you behind your back. It's beautiful. That's the healing power of Jesus right there. Yes, it is. It really is. And I think it's important that we give him the, the credit for stirring the souls within the children. Joseph, right? this wouldn't happen. Uh, if it weren't for Jesus, the amount of sacrifice <laughs> it took to start an organization from whole cloth, if it weren't for him, it wouldn't happen. I wouldn't have gone through the pain and suffering of, of what it took to get there. So I've done some horrible things in my life. Uh, but so for this one good thing that I've done, if it weren't for him, it wouldn't have happened. I, I wouldn't do it. Why would I do it? Uh, I could get a much better paying job. I mean, honestly, I did it because of him. Mm, praise God for that. We're speaking with Paul Coughlin. You can find him at theprotectors.org. Uh, Paul is your guy if you work in the school systems and you deal with bullying on a regular basis or you see it, you know it's there. You want Paul to come into your school and bring Jesus's healing into your public school system, whether you're a Christian school or not. Paul's the guy. Go to theprotectors.org. And Paul, welcome to my favorite part of the show. Welcome to the confession round. This is where I'm going to ask you 10 quick fire questions. You'll have about three seconds to answer each. Don't overthink it. It's just for fun. Are you ready, sir? I'm trying. What's I'm, your... I, I'm very bad at this stuff. Okay, I'm trying. Let's start with you're very good at this stuff. Here we go. What's your <laughs> favorite thing about God? Mercy. Yeah, there you go. What's your least favorite thing about God? Not answering prayers that I think should be answered. Mm. What are you most afraid of? Fear. Yeah. I believe we're all struggling with something at any given moment of our life, Paul. It's just part of the human condition. What are you struggling with right now, either professionally or personally? Uh, lack of trust in God in, um, right now with COVID and the well-being of the protectors. Mm. Got it. What did you spend way too much time doing in your 20s? Worrying what other people thought. Yeah. What secret fear do you have about people? Rejection, I guess. Yeah. What do you wish you had learned sooner about God? Uh, not to be oh, about God. Oh, man. Uh, uh, I'd go back to mercy. 
yeah, how merciful a father he is, right? What's a new habit you want to form? Greater discipline. What's a bad habit you want to break? Impatience. Pick three words to describe who you are now. Work in action. <laughs> so good. Pick, <laughs> pick three words to describe who you were before you experienced God's mercy in your life. Oh, very, very lost. Mm. And last question. If you could come back to life after you died, look your family, your friends in the eye. Give them only one piece of advice about everything. Life, eternity, all of it. What would you say to them? Don't be naive. Don't be naive. Any final wisdom? What's the one thing you want my listener to know about having a relationship with God and standing up and being spiritually courageous versus not? Oh, man. Um, no stones in my hands. I'm a recovering coward like, like everyone else. But I guess what happened was I became more aware of it. And then I would say that it was more than awareness. Awareness alone doesn't lead to change. Um, I saw, with the help of others, a very different Jesus than what I was given in church. And that very different Jesus is radically orthodox. He is amazingly merciful, and he can be tough. Um, he is he's awesome, and he is the real Jesus gives so much more inspiration than the one that I thought existed. And that's really important because he is our example. I think so many of us are walking around with this image of a fake Jesus in our, our head, and we try to uh, humanize God and make him from divine to small, finite, right? Rather than seeing him outside, his ways are higher than ours, outside our understanding. And, and like we just minimize him and think he should behave a certain way, he should do certain things, et cetera. And this is where we cause all our anxiety, all our frustration. Why? Because our inner control freak says, well, I should be in control because he's not doing a good job. Oh, my goodness. So true. That has been my experience. Um, and, and try as we will, he won't be tamed. Try as he will, we have this, we have this record. And if we just look at the record, uh, not what necessarily is emphasized, but what's there because we don't emphasize those other things. You know, I, I think I mentioned that the NGB, the nice guy Bible, it's, it's right up there with the Thomas Jefferson's Bible where he takes the miracles out. Well, we do something similar. Catholic Protestant, we have. Uh, we take out the tough stuff and we only keep the sweet stuff. Problem with that, at least the spiritual cavities. We need the tough stuff and Jesus gives it to us. Why? so we can live an abundant life. That's really what I think it comes down to. Was it Erasmus? I can't remember who, who said that the glory of God is man fully alive. Probably a Catholic because it sounds smart. Um, so uh, I, I really do think that's it. I really think that's it. And he wants us to be there. He wants us to get there. All right, BC Nation, you've heard it straight from Paul Coughlin. Be tender and be tough. Be tender and tough with your kids. Be tender and tough with yourself. Be tender and tough with God. It's okay to have ugly prayers with God and to get tough. David did it, and he was a man after God's own heart. He also got very tender, didn't he? All of Proverbs is written, right? So, Paul, uh, where can BC Nation uh, find out more about you, get in touch with you? What do you got going on? What do you got for them? Oh, that's great. Yeah, theprotectors.org, uh, information on public schools, private schools. Yeah, we have a faith-based message. But of course, you go into public schools and uh, it, the presentations are largely the same. But we, of course, we're not 
quoting scripture in the public schools, not allowed to, not supposed to. So, uh, but I, uh, who was it who said that? Uh, was it Augustine? Uh, always, always uh, oh, preach the always, gospel at all times, but use words when necessary. Saint Francis of Assisi. Saint Francis of Assisi. There we go. So uh, that's what we do. I know the. I know how it works. Um, love is love, and we just help these kids, and they need to be. Uh, rescued on that front. And then the book, No More Christian Nice Guy, uh, available everywhere. It's changed a lot, a lot of lives, particularly sons of pastors in particular. So join us as we stand against the number one form of child abuse in the nation. Bullying, number one form of child abuse. Uh, People of faith need to be on the front lines. We should be on the tip of the spear. Right now we're not. And uh, I, I hope this conversation gets more of us uh, into that battle because you know men need a bone to chew on if we don't chew on a meaningful bone we're going to be chewing on some pretty bad bones uh, let's chew on some meaningful bones for a change that's it bc nation put down the porn put down the problems put down the anxiety the struggles and go find someone who's suffering in the world and help them that's what you were made for love on them paul thank you for being on broken catholic i wish you god's love peace and joy in your life sir Same to you. Cheers. BC Nation, you cannot show up authentically in your life without building faith in your business. If you want the business side of that conversation, I have another podcast called First 100K, where I interview successful entrepreneurs about how they made their first $100,000, because that's where I believe 90% of you are stuck and you can't break through. Go to first100k.com to find out how. I'm Joseph Warren. You were made for greatness. So stop being a wuss and start being a winner. Have a blessed day and I'll see you right back here next week.